Amen. So last week, Rick talked to us about the testimony of the prophets uh, in anticipation of the coming Messiah. Um, and he mentioned that there were all kinds of specific uh, prophecies that came through these men from the Holy Spirit. So God sent his message to these people to communicate to others uh, about the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, Savior, and King. And so some of those things were that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Um, but that he would be called the Nazarene, and yet that he would also come out of the land of Egypt. And all of those things seem kind of contradictory, uh, and yet through Jesus we see in his story how he was born in Bethlehem because there was a census, and his father Joseph had to go to Bethlehem for that census, and so Jesus was born there. But they were actually from Nazareth, and so he was also called the Nazarene. And then due to persecution, they fled to Egypt, when Jesus was a baby, and so he came up out of Egypt too. And there are actually hundreds of these prophecies. Uh, one of, or a few of the favorite ones that I have are um, that Jesus would actually be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, and that those 30 pieces of silver would be used to buy a potter's field. I mean, it's that level of specificity and detail, and yet these hundreds of prophecies... Uh, through these prophets over the year in anticipation of Jesus' coming, uh, were fulfilled completely in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about that last week. And this week we're talking about the testimony of angels as it relates to this coming King and Savior. Um, and the natural passage for this particular lesson is Luke chapter 2, uh, where the shepherds are in the field and the angels come and they declare that Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. And we'll reference that this morning, but that's actually not where we're going to start. Um, so as you think about angels throughout the Bible, what are some of the things, the roles that angels play that you can think of? Protector. protector. Okay. So let's, let's hang out on that one. So protector. Um, can you think of any stories where angels sent from God uh, served as protectors for God's people? Daniel in the lion's den. Yeah, so an angel came and shut the mouths of the lions and protected Daniel when he was in Babylon. Yeah, who else? Or what else? Yeah, yeah, so they, they also made announcements. And we can think of some examples of that too. Uh, what, what else uh, as it relates to angels protecting God's people? I've actually got my cheat sheet in here. Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Okay, yeah. And there was an angel of the Lord in there that protected the three of them, and they came out totally unscathed from the fiery furnace. What else? Genesis 3. Genesis 3 we'll come back to that one. <laughs> All kinds, right? So, so uh, Hezekiah prayed when, when the people of Judah were surrounded um, by the Assyrian army, and the Assyrians were this big, bad, nasty army, kind of the... the uh, most dominant military force of the day, and they had surrounded um, Hezekiah and the people of Judah. And so they were helpless, and so Hezekiah prays, and then what happens is one angel that God sends wipes out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, and he delivers the people of Judah. Um, what are some other ones I came up with here? Uh, Elisha. Do you remember Elisha when he was... Um, there and they were surrounded by uh, the Aramean army, and he says, "God, open their eyes." And all of a sudden, there's this 
bunch of angels surrounding them. They blind the Aramean army, and they're saved, right? So protection by angels, uh, but also messengers were mentioned. So who can think of examples of messenger angels throughout the Bible? Yeah, Joseph and Mary. Good. Yep, appeared to the shepherds in Luke 2. Yep. Yeah, at, at the tomb, at the empty tomb. What else? Yeah, so, so an angel came and actually delivered from prison. Yep. Uh, Elizabeth, right, with John the Baptist. And then the, the other one I was thinking of is uh, in Daniel chapter 9, at the end of the Babylonian captivity, Daniel is crying out, saying, God, we deserve all of this captivity and punishment because of our rebellion against you. Um, but would you please show your mercy to your people? And then God sends a messenger angel who's delayed by some type of demonic angel or demon in Persia. Uh, eventually delivers this message and reminds him of the coming of the Savior and the King. And he actually gives them this amazing prophecy that says the exact timeline of when the Messiah and King would come that ends up being fulfilled. Um, so it's really, it's really pretty amazing. Uh, and then the other role, can anybody think of one more role that angels play in Scripture? Praising God. Okay, so what examples do we have of that? Revelation, yeah, it's everywhere in Revelation, right? And then what else? Yeah, yeah, the birth of Jesus, again, kind of Luke chapter 2. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, he comes into the kind of the throne room of God and has this vision, uh, and he sees angels worshiping in that setting too. And so you see these kind of different areas where God shows up through angels uh, in the Bible. And when you think of worship, uh, typically it shows up in the, in the context of a heavenly scene. So it comes to people typically in a really helpless and hopeless situation and reminds them of this greater, bigger picture of heaven and that it all revolves around the throne of God. When it comes to protection, uh, typically people fall into uh, disarray and conflict with one another and they find themselves imprisoned or... Um, being persecuted, um, but it's, it's usually when they're in these places of trial that these angels show up and bring hope in the midst of that trial, and a reminder that God is good, and that God is loving, and that he actually steps in supernaturally, sending these angels to protect and preserve his people and his promise. Um, and then, of course, with the, with the messengers, um, oftentimes the message is one of hope in the midst of trial. So we see these angels showing up throughout Scripture. Um, but somebody mentioned this already, but can anybody think of the first mention of angels in the Bible? Yeah, it's, I hear people whispering. They're not actually volunteering it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the first time angels show up in the Bible is guarding the east side of the Garden of Eden so that people can't go and eat from the tree of life. And so in Genesis chapter 3, of course, we have Adam and Eve, and they uh, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this represents a massive turning point uh, in the human story, 
because God had created Adam and Eve to commune with him, to rely on him, to walk with him in the garden, and to have this really beautiful, innocent, pure relationship where God was the one who told them what was good and evil, and they were entirely reliant upon him as their good and loving father. When they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they took that away from God, and they um, decided that on their own, in their own free will, that they would rely upon themselves for the knowledge of good and evil. And through that, sin entered the world. People were separated from God, and uh, ultimately that path would lead down a path of death and destruction, just like God said would happen if people rebelled against God, turned away from God, and uh, ate from that tree. And so in his mercy, God sends them out of the garden, and he puts in these angels to guard the Garden of Eden so that they can't get back in uh, with a fiery sword, which I would love to see. Um, but he actually puts angels there so that they can't eat from the tree and stay in that condition separated from God forever. So God mercifully puts his angels there to protect people from staying in the state of separation from him. And then what we see, though, is the outcome of people relying on themselves is uh, death, right? So Cain and Abel, uh, there's jealousy, there's uh, envy, there's murder, and we just see this path of destruction continue with people from there on out. And as we go through the story of Scripture, what you see is there are two people groups. There are the Jews and the non-Jews. So the, the, the non-Jews or the Gentiles um, largely completely embrace this rebellion against God. They go their own way, and with very few exceptions, uh, they just embrace this self-reliance, self-indulgence, and they're just massively wicked people, um, offering their babies to sacrifice, um, wars, beheadings, just nasty, nasty stuff, worship of idols. Um, and then there's this other people group, the nation of Israel or the Jews. And the Jewish people, um, to their credit, were wanting to follow God. And God chose them. He gave them his law. And so they had uh, intentions of following God, but they were doing so, again, in their own ability, in their own wisdom, in their own self-reliance. Because the law was given, and it would say, do this 365 times. <laughs> and it would have a bunch of other rules that would say, don't do that. And so they would try to follow these rules, but ultimately what they would do, because their hearts were still wicked and because they were self-reliant, is they would rebel against God, and they would find themselves uh, in these really bad situations because of their sin. Because no matter how hard they tried, that path would always lead to destruction. And that was the whole point of the law, was to show people that whether you were a Gentile and you were totally off on your own just, just running away from God, or if you were trying to follow the rules in sincere desire and willpower to follow God, that you were unable to do so. And so the Bible tells us that all people are under sin, right? We all have rebelled. There's no one righteous, not even one. And that even our most righteous acts are nothing more than filthy rags. And it's actually in this place of hopelessness and helplessness where people have come to the end of ourselves 
and realize that no matter how, um, how good our intent or how strong our conviction or how determined our will, that our natural selves apart from God are bent on running away from him. And so one of the things that we see from the testimony of angels is that while they intervene throughout the story of people throughout the Old Testament, um, ultimately people continue to run away from God. And that's what happens in our sin, in our flesh, without him. Um, But that's also why there's such great news or good news of great joy to all people when the angels announce that Jesus has come. Because simultaneous with the people running away from God was this promise that God would one day come and restore people to himself through Jesus. And so there's this promised king and savior that both the prophets and the angels foretold that comes in Luke chapter 2. And I'm just going to read that now. It said, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And the story goes on to say that they go to Bethlehem and they see the baby Jesus. But it's powerful that they bring this good news of great joy for all people. And I think the the simple thing that God wanted to remind us of this morning, and I, I won't take a bunch of extra time with this, is that Um, he wants to remind us that uh, it it is perilous for us and it is futile for us to rely upon ourselves. And that you see the pattern through Scripture is that when we rely upon ourselves, it actually leads us away from God. And yet when we rely on Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit, it brings us back to God. And you might say, well, yeah, yeah, this is the church. This is a Sunday morning. We all know that. Uh, and yet, in practice, I think if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we can take ourselves too seriously. And even in our best intention as Christians, start to think, okay, uh, I am going to um, pursue God actively. And uh, in my life, it has shown that um, even though I like long to be close to Jesus, and that's a good longing, I can actually strive in my own ability to do that. Versus come like a little child and go, God, um, I realize that in me, that is in my flesh, there's no good thing. Um, And yet you pursue me anyway. And I can abide in his love and his kindness and his grace as he runs after me. And... 
Uh, it's a very subtle difference, but it's an important difference. I think in our lives, uh, sometimes when we're trying to solve problems and we're trying to go, okay, I see some of these things coming together, and how do I put them together in such a way that I can figure out what God wants me to do? And there's this kind of, um, this is inappropriate, but it's kind of a spiritual constipation. We're like, come on, you know, like, <laughs> you know, and, and we're really, really struggling and trying to bring God glory. Or we're going, God, how do we reach the people of Sherwood? And we start to get really serious about ourselves and our own ability to do that. Um, and we have a role to play. This is not to say that we as the church don't have a role to play, but it's a reminder that as it relates to our minds and our hearts, we're better off coming like little kids. I have a, a little niece, Ruby, and she's a couple years old, and she's sweet, and she's silly, and she's innocent. And uh, what I love about Ruby is she doesn't take herself too seriously, and she will just run up to me and embrace me and... She's so fun, and all she wants to do is just be close and be loved by her parents. And she knows that because they are good and because they are loving, that she's going to be taken care of, and she just wants to be near. Um, the Bible talks about us as sheep who, who tend to kind of wander and go astray, but it talks about Jesus as the good shepherd. And sheep are really simple, right? They, they don't overcomplicate things, um, but but they know when a shepherd is good and will love them and protect them. And they know that the shepherd will feed them and lead them to green pasture. And we're likened to those sheep. And yet sometimes I think we're the, the sheep who, who are really intense and really trying to figure out, and go, okay, man, what are we going to do here? How are we going to save other sheep who have gone astray? And how are we going to do this, that, or the other thing? And sometimes I think we just need to chill out a little bit. And I, and I say that in humility and love. Um, we can take ourselves too seriously. And, and remember, we're just sheep who wander astray. We're just little kids who, and when the Bible talks about coming to the Lord like little kids, it's not like Lily and Trevor, my kids, who are 10 and, 13, well, 10 and 12. Um, it's, it's like really, really little ones who, who, who just want to be held and who, who need their parents for everything. And that's us, right? And that's the testimony of the Bible, but also the testimony of these angels, that from the moment we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and were sent out of the garden, we started down this path where we started to think that we were something, <laughs> that, that we could pursue God on our own or that we could find true life on our own. Or even now that um, we as Christians in 2018 almost 19 in Sherwood, Oregon, um, there's this tendency for us to go, okay, we're going we're gonna, to, even though Jesus has done everything to restore us to himself, now we're going to take the reins back and, and we're going to follow God our way with our efforts and our wisdom. And um, those aren't wisdom, desire to follow God, all of those things are good things. I just think it's a matter of, of taking ourselves a little less seriously and relying on God more. Because the reality is, is relying on Jesus, the, the, the satisfaction of his sacrifice upon the cross once for all sin is sufficient. It's sufficient. And his Holy Spirit is sufficient 
to clean us and make us whole and cause us to be fruitful and to lead us in all righteousness. And I wonder sometimes if we as the church aren't trying too hard to figure out, okay, what's the thing we need to add so that this thing's really going to work now? So if we just, um, you know, have this type of music or this type of children's program, or if we um, try this different tactic to reach our neighbors and our community, that's going to be the answer, and then this is going to be the perfect church. It's not. It's not. Um, But if we were to humble ourselves and come like little kids or like little sheep and just realize that we are wholly reliant upon a good father and a loving father, and if we were to come and say, we actually believe you, Jesus, when you said that you would bring good news for us, that you would seek and save the lost, that you would uh, wash away all of our sins with your blood, and that you would send us your Holy Spirit to make us new, what if we just trusted in that and relied on that? What, wouldn't we take ourselves a whole lot less seriously if we really believed that God was who he said he was and would do what he said he would do? And uh, it's hard, right? Because <laughs> there is this tendency in our flesh and our natural selves to want to make it about us. And the reminder this Christmas, and ideally all the time, is that the, the, angels, the angels testified of a better promise. That in Jesus we would find life eternal and life in, all, in abundance, and that we could rely on him. The cool thing is the bookends of the Bible both talk about angels and the tree of life. So in Revelation chapter 22, um, we see this angel showing the apostle John this vision of a new heaven and a new earth and this new Jerusalem. And he, he says this, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as, a, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So at the end of the Bible, we see people restored back to the tree of life, where we can have um, this abundance and this eternal life because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And he's, he is our hope. You know, I love... Um, I actually love the fact that um, God allows us to see the depth of our sin through the mirror of his word. And not because we should like glory in our sin or anything like that, um, but because it causes us to realize how frail, how frail and futile we are apart from him. And uh, King David in the Old Testament um, was a man after God's own heart. 
And he did a lot of really great things, right? He, he slew Goliath. And he brought the Ark of the Covenant back to God's people. And all, all of these amazing things that David did. And he was this mighty warrior. And he wrote a bunch of psalms. Um, but he also was a huge sinner. <laughs> and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah the Hittite. And it was in this place of adultery and murder where he was called out by Nathan the prophet that he wrote Psalm 51. And I would love to read Psalm 51 as we wrap up um, and just listen to this. And I want you to pay attention to two things. I want you to pay attention to um, how little David thinks of himself. Not, not in a self-destructive way, but in a really healthy, humble reliant way. And then I want you to also focus upon uh, what he says about God and his goodness and his kindness. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are a God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will de delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. As we go into uh, a time of worship and communion, uh, we're going to take two songs, and during those two songs, I'd love if you did a couple of things. Uh, one is, if you would just ask God to search your heart and go, God, where, where have I been taking myself too seriously and relying too much upon myself? And just allow him to uh, expose those areas and then confess them and lay them down at the feet of Jesus and know he has washed those sins away. And we can come totally open before him and give him those things and ask him to minister to us in those areas. And then secondly, if you would come up to the tables of communion during that time and just remember the body of Jesus that was broken for us, the blood that was shed to make us new. Uh, make us new. It is Jesus who is our hope this season. It is Jesus who is the source of good news, of great joy for all people. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you that you are Savior and King, that you are the Good Shepherd, that you were the Lamb that was slain for all of our sins. God, we're especially grateful that when we were in rebellion against you, while we were still sinners running away from you, you demonstrated your love toward us. And you died for us. You paid the price that we owed that we might be made new and restored to you. It is your work. And it is by your grace, your love, your mercy, your loving kindness that we come back to you. And we just want to be like little kids, God, who trust you, who allow you to move and work by your Holy Spirit in and through your church. Help us to do that. I just pray that you would have your way in this time by your Holy Spirit. Would you just uh, remove any barriers or noise in our own minds? Help us to hear no other voice but yours. We give this time to you now in Jesus' precious name.